basic just situational awareness can really help an environment. You don't have to be down the speeds and feeds, but just being situationally aware, like getting your people to ask the question, should I respond to this email or should I provide these credentials? What's the risk of the action I'm taking right now in regards to cybersecurity? Hey everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The Incident Report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Hey everybody, welcome to the Incident Report. I'm your host, Paul Burke. Well, I'm one of your hosts, the other host, half the show across from me, Adam Burke, how are you doing? Good, Paul. Excited to be here. Fired up today, fully caffeinated and ready to rock. It's been a busy Monday, as we were chatting about before we launched here, but happy to be here. Good to go. You're fired up. I'm fired up. We got lots of news stories to talk about. Let's get into it. First up, an article from Mashable. Apple security flaw may allow hackers full control of devices, company warns. Apple has released patches for major iOS and Mac OS security breaches. Well, I sent this to you and I also sent this to a lot of our partners, a lot of our clients. We published a security blast on this on Friday last week. And it's just one of those situations where there are so many organizations and so many people who are accessing information and leveraging their, their Apple devices that sometimes people don't know exactly where to turn or how to validate if a patch has been successfully installed or an update has been successfully deployed for the longest time you know you hear about windows vulnerabilities and you know uh, windows operating system vulnerabilities you don't really hear that that often around um, apple and mac and os and safari and things like that they, they've had them they've been there but it's not something you hear all the time and this this vulnerability this exploit is is severe we haven't you know we haven't seen exactly what it's going to mean long term but in the apple world and just raising awareness for people sometimes folks don't know where to turn to get help to validate that these exploits have been addressed because it's just not something people in the apple ecosystem have been thinking about we thought it was a something we definitely want to raise from an attention level and an awareness to our partners and to our customers and, and to our users, right? To our people we, who are using Apple devices and might have this threat. So the article goes on to say, both bugs exist within WebKit, Apple's browser engine that powers Safari and applications. Based on the reports provided by Apple, the first vulnerability would allow a hacker complete access to a user's device. And all of this was cited by an anonymous researcher. So an anonymous researcher discovered this and I imagine like some sort of deep throat situation, they met in a parking garage, handed the information over, and there you go. Yes, I think Mulder and Scully might've been involved. No, but it is serious. It is something that you can lose control of your device or you know they can observe all actions taken on your device. So just think about when they say this exploit exists within the Safari application, like there are tons of applications in the Apple ecosystem that are built that leverage the Safari application uh, mm -hmm. that, that basically powers, it's the underlying engine for a ton of other things that go on and a ton of different applications. So it ties into your keystrokes, it ties into what you're searching, it ties into applications you're logging into. Mm -hmm. You could do a lot of damage and get a lot of personal information from someone based on, on their keystrokes or what they're doing from their phone. 
And I think, and this ties in to some other stories we're going to talk about in a second, that they could get access and then just kind of sit in your system. Like just because they have access doesn't mean they're immediately taking action and taking control. They could be just storing all your key, you know, your passwords that you're, you're typing in. Yeah. You don't want people to have unauthorized access to your environment. You don't want them in your environment having visibility to what you're doing because who knows what they're up to. So you definitely want to limit any type of exposure you have as best as you can. That's why we're advocating to, to check to confirm those have been enforced. If you're allowing people to have access to your environment, enforce policies that validate that these, these, these updates have taken place. And you can enforce that. It takes a little bit of policy. It takes a little bit of discipline around saying, okay, if you're touching our environment or logging into our systems or accessing our environment from this type of device, here's how you, here's how you confirm that, that these updates have been, have been completed. Mm-hmm. And listen, we don't want to just put the fear of God in iOS users. We also want to terrify Microsoft users. So our second article is from Mandiant.com. You can't audit me. APT29 continues targeting Microsoft 365. So APT29 is a Russian espionage group that Mandiant has been tracking since at least 2014 and is likely sponsored by the Foreign Intelligence Service. Mandiant continues to identify APT29 operations targeting the United States' interests in those of NATO and partner countries. So this has included multiple instances where APT29 revisited victims they had compromised years or sometimes only months beforehand. This persistence and aggressiveness are indicative of sustained interest in this information and strict tasking by the Russian government. And they've been attacking through Microsoft 365. Yeah. And and what they're doing is it's really interesting as far as like, you know, breadcrumbs and tracking how people have access. But something that something that we like to do for folks is we go through and and look at their security scores and look at some, it's called purview audit, but it was formerly called advanced audit, where it shows what's been done and, and can help find anomalies within an environment as far as unauthorized access. These guys are helping to cover their own tracks. So once they get in, not only can they make changes or observe certain things within the Microsoft environment, but E1, E3, E5 licenses can all give different access to the Microsoft 365 environment. And bad actors are trying to take over accounts and take over identity of different users to gain access and then observe or or launch a different exploit trying to get further into an environment. This article talks about multi-factor authentication and how most people think multi-factor authentication is a silver bullet, the one thing that's going to stop hackers. But as the article goes on, it becomes very clear that multi-factor authentication can in fact be an issue and it's not the silver bullet people were hoping for. Yeah, there's no silver bullet, and the second you think you have one, you're vulnerable. So it's kind of like the inverse of what you think. If you think you're completely secure, you're probably signaling that you're not. Mm-hmm. Multi-factor is great. It allows you to basically requiring someone to say, hey, I know this, and I have this, right? Mm-hmm. So I know my username and password, and I have this license or this code or this you know number sequence that you've sent me to authenticate that this is my device. Mm-hmm. So that those are great. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This article talks exactly about how some people, when they're deploying multi-factor authentication, allow for first-time users of that MFA to basically 
subscribe to the service. So mm. if a, so in the event, if you're thinking like a bad guy, if that person finds an account that hasn't subscribed to MFA yet and automatically logs into it, now the bad actor who fraudulently has your credentials has the MFA coming to them to validate you that they are who they say they are. So it comes back to that whole identity management kind of cat and mouse game. Like, okay, well, I guess maybe auto enrolling for convenience and letting your users conveniently sign up for MFA sounds good because you're not going to break access and no one wants to break the connection or break access to your, your applications for your users. But at the same time, that's a vulnerability in itself. We, we've talked about this a million times, Paul. Anytime you're adding convenience for the end user, mm -hmm. you better have that process locked down because convenience to the end user could be another threat vector. It could be another way to be manipulated, right? Every time you extend convenience, you better square that away and make sure that your left and right is covered because that convenience in and of itself makes things a little bit riskier. Well, it's funny you mentioned dormant accounts because the article actually mentions that APT29 conducted password guessing attacks. And I'm sorry to laugh, but that just seems such a simple, like primitive way to get in. Like we think they have these sophisticated attack parameters, but if they just guessed and they guessed correctly and they got access to a dormant account, which it had been set up, but never used. And they got the MFA, like you mentioned, that's what they did. And I was also wondering, Adam, has it ever been an issue that because, you know, people join organizations and leave organizations for one reason or another, that accounts could be set up for somebody, but then they leave and then it's just kind of sitting out there anonymously and nobody knows because the person it was set up for like lost or maybe got reassigned. I mean, is that a situation we've seen and run into before? It's funny you should mention dormant accounts because in this article, APT conducted guessing attacks to get into passwords on dormant accounts. And there were a number of times they succeeded, got into the dormant account just by guessing the password, were then able to acquire the MFA and then get into the company's VPN infrastructure and cause a lot of havoc. And I was wondering while reading this article, is there an issue with employees who come and go in an organization? Maybe they retire, maybe they move on to another job, but their account is sitting out there and it's forgotten about. Does their account that's sitting out there become a problem? And how do you know they're out there? Yeah, and that, that happens all the time. People people move on, they go to different, they, they transfer jobs. I mean, we're in the middle of the great resignation right now and people hop jobs all the time, especially mm -hmm. in IT. But having a policy in place to monitor access and, and how long has an account been dormant, you can set those policies, right? So you can set policies that say, hey, this person hasn't logged into their account in two weeks. Do you still need this? Hey, this, this email distribution has not been leveraged in a month. Do you still want it? as part of your exchange environment. There are inactive methods you can do to audit your environment automatically, or you can you can go through and manually review things in your active directory and users, although it, there's definitely some cleaner ways to do that from an automation standpoint. And then you just go through and it's just good old fashioned like digital hygiene, keeping your environment clear of unwanted or unused accounts and, and get rid of them. If they're not being used, shut them down, 
get rid of them, repopulate those licenses elsewhere, save your firm some money on the subscriptions for those mm -hmm. licenses and, and remove that potential risk. Okay. That's a great point. Cause I realized we kind of came in strong with like, Hey, here's some security flaws and you know, everything's melting down. So that's great to like, give some like, well, here's some solutions and ways you can kind of combat it and protect yourself in the event of a situation. Yeah, it's it's really it's really common sense. I was on a, a call with a, a partner today and they were they were struggling to to get into the security space. They mm -hmm. they didn't they didn't know where to begin. And, and the funny thing was this organization that we work with, they do consulting around business processes, finding, you know, good value and expense management and things like that. And a lot of these people in this organization are some of the probably toughest and most combat experienced people in the channel. I won't mention who they are, but they are very, very, their credentials are, are, are very impressive. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're talking, we're talking special forces operators type people like, like green berets, Marine force recon type people. And, um, they were struggling with how to have the security conversation with their customers. And we broke it down and kind of went through their processes and the physical world of security and managing threats and protecting assets and and protecting objectives and things like that it translates directly into the digital world it's mm -hmm. it's com it's common sense as far as access control validating who people who people are who they say they are people are in environments that they're that they're authorized to be in you know just basic just situational awareness can can really help an environment you don't have to be down on the speeds and feeds but just being situationally aware like Hey, getting your people to ask the question, should I respond to this email or should I provide these credentials? What's the risk of the action I'm taking right now in regards to cybersecurity? And working with this partner, it was translating their their real world tactical experience in the military mm -hmm. with, hey guys, we're you're just helping an organization go through this process from their digital assets. The same way you would secure something in the field or you would secure an objective or, or, or defend a position, you're just doing that. You're just doing that for corporate assets. And but you're you're using different tools. Instead of machine guns and snipers and explosives, you're using endpoint protection, anomaly-based, you know, SIM detection and all sorts of other assets, MDR, all, all the good stuff we hear in the security space. It's just different tools. Same, same process, same discipline, different tools. That's a great way of looking at it. That's really helpful. Yep. And finally, Adam, our story, Zoom not growing as fast as they were. Zoom's having some trouble. They let out some numbers here and, and, and Zoom's a great company. And all these companies that were that went sky high during the pandemic from a stock price and investment standpoint, they're kind of getting beat up right now as like high flyers that kind of are, are cratering a little bit. But it's not it's not their fault that people paid, you know, 40 times revenue just because they could host a video call. That's not their fault. They've done some really cool things as far as implementing meeting strategies and remote sessions and, and getting people to collaborate. And I've been on, you know, Zoom webcasts and all these types of things where, where people are putting together some great stuff. But yeah, they're getting nailed right now with some with some slowing revenue growth. And this article came up. I was really interested in it because it kind of talks about how people are maybe holding back right now on adding to their subscriptions on you know adding to their annual uh, reoccurring revenue commitments to you know firms like zoom or any of the ucas providers or collaboration suites it's going to be interesting to see how this how this shakes out 
that will be interesting to see what happens. Can their innovation help get subscriptions back, or is it just people are kind of in a hold pattern right now? Yeah, yeah. These revenue projections are always amazing. They had revenue of one point one billion versus you know one point one two billion, which was expected. It's interesting to see how they're mapping it out this quarter versus next. I think they're just going to kind of keep sorting it out and figuring out what's relevant to customers and how they're how they want to subscribe to these things. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Adam, bit of a non sequitur, but did you hear about Janet Jackson's song? I did not hear about Janet Jackson's song. Do tell. Janet Jackson's song from 1989 declared a cybersecurity vulnerability for crashing hard drives. The way the song is made, Rhythm Nation has been labeled a cybersecurity vulnerability. Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation from 1989 is a security vulnerability. Adam, it's just been revealed that the song has the power to crash particular models of laptops. Is it the bass? What's crashing the hard drives? Does it go into that? It was discovered that the effect could be replicated on other laptops from multiple manufacturers, all which shared a common feature. The same 5400 RPM hard disk drive was found in the machines, which were popular sometime around 2005 or 16 years after Rhythm Nation just missed out on the top Billboard 100. The problem is that the song contains one of a natural resonant frequencies for that particular hard drive model. It causes the HD platters to contact the drive head, resulting in a crash. That is fantastic. I had no idea, and I, I don't think you, I don't think there's a patch for that. So, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a pretty pretty wild little story. So that's that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing. That's that's a good one. You're welcome. So what's happening this week? Anything exciting going on? Well, Paul, I don't know if you know this, but I don't know if anyone else is following along, but uh, Game of Thrones just uh, premiered last night, and uh, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Oh, House of Dragons, right? House House of Dragons premiered. House of Dragons premiered. It, it led up to all the, it kind of held up to all the stereotypes of what uh, Game of Thrones episodes entailed. It had a couple scenes. It had a couple shots. My my, <laughs> my wife will not be watching it with me anymore. So that was one and done for her, which was fun. But uh, yeah, it's it's back. It is <laughs> it is back. We'll see we'll see how it goes from here. But yeah, it's uh, HBO. Pull no punches on this one. Yeah, I heard it's it's a pretty intense scene. I think I know what you're talking about. And I heard that the writers and director of it, before releasing it, they ran it by as many women as possible to say, hey. How do you feel about this? And they're like, it's okay. You know, it's, 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 it's fine. <laughs> they didn't bother running it by any men, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, hey, how do you guys feel about this? I don't know, Lorena, how do you feel about this? Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I have not seen the first episode, but if anybody has made me interested in watching it, it is you right now. I'm still holding out hope for the the Lord of the Rings trilogy coming up. So we can uh, geek out on that one, the Lord of the Rings prequel. That's that's coming out, I think, on the 2nd on Amazon Prime. So I think they only spent like $3 billion on it. So should be pretty good. You know what? They actually had a commercial for that before the movie over the weekend. So they are really, I mean, that has to be costing a lot to advertise that new Lord of the Rings TV show on Prime in front of a movie at the theater. So that was an interesting tactic, I thought. It's basically an eight-hour movie is the way the director is pitching it. He's pitching it as it's it's an eight-hour movie. People are really getting on him about how much money he's spending. 
But mm-hmm. he's like, listen, I'm this is a high production movie. You're getting you're getting eight eight hours for the cost of one ridiculously expensive movie. They're getting four. Now that's marketing. That is a clever way to pitch an expensive TV show. Well, Adam, we did it. We talked about all the news stories fit to chat about. We talked about TV. We talked about more TV. We've done it all. So, Adam, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of The Incident Report. We will see you guys back next Tuesday. Have an amazing week. Thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at theincidentreport at questsys.com. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.